Hello, you amazing people out there, and welcome to the Amazing Action Comics Podcast, where we are all about independent comics. I'm your host, Angel, and this week we get to sit down with creator Edward Davis of Finish Line Comics, uh, who currently has a project on Kickstarter called Immortal Era. So we got to sit with Edward and you know talk about his creative process, his Kickstarter project, and the future. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Off we go. All right, Ed, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I am wonderful. I know that we've been speaking already offline a little bit, and I know that you're on the West Coast, and I'm always yeah. super jealous because you guys always have so much sun. Oh, yeah. little now, rain today, but that's one day out of, you know, one day out of 10, you get a little over, overcast or cloudy, but yeah, sunshine, it's good stuff. Uh, well, we just broke 71 degrees over here on the East Coast, and we're, we're all elated. So, But it's, oh, going back sure. under, it's going back under 60 again, so we're not getting too happy. Okay. Um, but you know what, though? I could never, I, I don't think I could ever celebrate Christmas with a palm tree and not a Christmas tree. Or yeah, a Christmas tree see, I, and no snow. Yeah, see, I don't know the difference. It's, you know, it's it's always a sunny Christmas for us. We're half the Christmases. I tell people I'm I'm still wearing shorts. It's like okay, it's not even cool enough to put on a sweatshirt. I got my cool, you know, He-Man ugly sweater. Half the time I can't wear it in the holidays. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, the day that I can wear shorts on a, on a Christmas, that would be fantastic. I guess you know. Well, you never know when when I retire. True. Retire somewhere warm. Uh, well, listen. Thanks for for coming on to the show. Um, I I appreciate you having me. Thank you for that. Yeah, no, no, no. Listen, we're always looking to promote independent creators. And, you know, this is a crazy world we're living in. We're just, you know, coming off the rebound. I think we want to say that things are starting to slowly get back to normal since COVID hit. Everything's yeah. just been kind of up in the air. And I spent oh, a yeah. lot of time in comic shops. So, I, I mean, I'm in a comic shop mm -hmm. four days out of the week because that's where I'm at. Um, yeah. And, you know, for the industry itself, there's been some crazy things that have happened over the past year. But, yeah. you know, there's been a, a resurgence almost with, you know, more people coming into the shops, which has been fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And even more so with like independent stuff just coming out of the works, like that there's just, you know, selling off the shelves or, you know, people that are promoting themselves, publishing themselves on uh, uh, crowdfunding campaigns. It, it's just been a crazy year um, an uptick on, on all that stuff. Yeah, Kickstarter's been amazing. I've been seeing so many projects and so many of them actually getting funded where before you'd put a project up and you'd cross your fingers and you'd watch, you know, eight out of 10 not fund. Now it's the opposite. You see eight out of 10 actually fund. And, you know, it's it's a great place to be able to put your work when you don't have the luxury of comic shops because what I've noticed is during the COVID times, the comic shops are more reluctant to take your stuff on. Where before they're like, yeah, bring me ten issues, let's go for it. But now they're like, we're we're having trouble selling the Marvel and DC stuff, so we don't want to take on an unknown commodity. But I think now, as you were saying, we're starting to see an uptick. I was in the comic shop earlier today, and it was, it was pretty jammed. And that's a Thursday. I mean, you expect to see it crowded on a Wednesday because that's the new comic day. But to see it, you know, full of people and everybody, you know, several books in hand, ready to buy on a Thursday. That's a good sign, and that means I got to start networking myself again out at all the different comic shops. Yeah, absolutely, and I have to agree with you. I mean, push like Wednesday's the day. Wednesday's everything coming out. 
I mean, DC's, mm-hmm. you know, gone back to Tuesdays because that's when they distribute everything. Um, so comic yeah. shops that follow that will do DC on Tuesday and everything else on Wednesday. But yeah, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, even into the weekend, we've been seeing an influx of new people and more traffic. So it's a very yeah, exciting great. time for at least I, 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 on the East Coast, at least. Um, I'm not sure how it is doing nationwide, but where we are, it's there's been an uptick. And, you know, we've been like, it almost feels like, you know, early 90s, late 80s, where yeah, it was full all the time. Um, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. But then on top of that, you know, we've got an increase in the indie scene, which is, you know, there's always something new every week. And, you know, I wish I could say that I, I wasn't reading every week, but I am yeah. reading every week because there's new content from independent distributors um, outside of the big two. Because, you know, there's a mm-hmm. thousand podcasts that talk about everything, Marvel and DC and otherwise. Yeah. But, you know, really trying to promote... Uh, up-and-coming artists or, you know, independents that there's some great stuff out there. So, yeah, so really good to have you on. And we're definitely going to talk about your project. But before we even get there, what I want to do is get to know a little bit more about you. So let's run it down. Discovery Comics. When did you first discover comics? When did I discover comics? I discovered comics. I was probably about six years old. My dad did the swap me every weekend. So we would go and just look at different things. And I remember I found one of the sellers who had a bunch of just trades of old school Marvel stuff. And I remember picking up that Spider-Man one that started with the Amazing Fantasy and then Mm -hmm. I think had the first 10 issues of Amazing Spider-Man. And I remember taking that book home, reading it, and then finishing it and be like, I need to read that again and just from that moment, I was hooked, and we'd go to the swap meet every weekend. I'd be like, "Okay, now I want that Avengers one. Now I want that Hulk one." And it was, it was a lot of Marvel to start. And then as I got older, I kind of discovered DC. And then what really, I mean, when I was younger, I was hooked on all the superhero stuff. But what really hooked me on the ability of comic books to tell stories was when I discovered Sandman and Neil Gaiman in high school. And I thought, this is a game changer because this isn't just, you know, fluffy superhero of the week fights villain of the week. This is telling a deep story. I mean, this is is worthy of any of your classic literature, but it's being told in a comic book form, and it's a finite story. You know, he had his 75 issues, and he told his story, and that was that. I mean, I know there's still stories that exist in that universe but the core of that story was told in those 75 issues and some of the most you know beautiful storytelling i mean you could you could dig so deep into all of the symbolism that's in there Mm -hmm. and this was in a comic book form a form that most people kind of frowned on and they thought oh you know comic books are for kids and i try to tell them no if you read this you'll see this has you know as much depth as any literature you can find out there just happens to have pictures with it. So that was what kind of hooked me. And then I got really into all of the different vertigo stuff that was going on at that time. So I was reading the Alan Moore Sandman, um, Garth Ennis with Preacher, and um, just started devouring all of the comics for adults that were telling just, you know, one big story instead of just story of the week. So that's what really got me hooked and made me think, you know, one day I'd love to write a comic book because you can tell a story and, you know, not have to compromise the vision and still put it in a comic form. Right. Uh, yeah. Awesome. And, and, you know, it's funny because even to this day, the stigma of comics is that it's still for little kids and 
They always think yeah. that it's just one genre. It's just superhero. Mm-hmm. When it's perfectly said, I mean, take Sandman, for example. This was like the perfect marriage between literature and art together. Um, yeah. And just telling a really great story from beginning to end. And if you give it to any adult without the, you know, the, the pictures of the pictures and just give them the script, they've got themselves a really great story at hand as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, it's cool. Um, and it's 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 funny when I have conversations with adults because they'll watch the movies, which is crazy, but mm-hmm. they separate the comic, which is like the, you know, the core material of where those movies are coming from. And most, and you know, it's funny, my wife and I were having a conversation the other day and not realizing that a lot of the shows that we've actually watched on TV that are not superhero related, but, you know, were in comic and trade form first before they were mm-hmm. introduced to either Netflix or wherever, you know, we were watching things. So more often than yeah. not, stuff that people are watching is coming from a lot of independent material that's already out there. Yeah, and that people don't realize it. And I still get that when I'm doing a show or a signing and people will, I'll try to, you know, steer them away from my material. If I see them walking up with a little kid, it's like, yeah, this comic's not really for kids. (laughs) And they're like, what do you mean comic, not for kids, comic and kids, those, you know, those two go together. And you try to tell them, no, this is an adult story kind of based in like based off of vertigo and stuff like that. And they just look at me like I'm speaking French because they have no idea what's going on. Like comics, kids, that's all I need. That's all we need to say. I still think we need a book for adults to kind of like, Sort of had this transition of what comics are right now, like a, a comic book for dummies kind of thing. Uh, yeah, which would be great. All right, cool. So we got with. So did you ever have a hiatus with you know comics, and then what kind of brought you back in, or was that like the vertical age when you came back in? I think yeah, I think the vertigo age is what kind of drew me back in. There was a there was a stretch in time where I was always buying something, but my my consumption of comics for the longest time was okay. Walk down to the local. 7-Eleven on the corner and grab something off the rack. So I was always buying, but my buying went down. And I think it's when I got that high school job and I thought now I want to keep reading the comics. And it was just a friend of mine who gave me the, um, the Sandman, one of the special issues. It wasn't even the core one. Mm -hmm. And I read it and just got hooked and then started going and finding all the different back issues and everything and I was always buying, but I think it really went up. And I was buying the superhero stuff as well, because I remember the big buzz was everyone knew I was the comic book guy. And they're like, do you have that issue where Superman dies? And <laughs> it's like all of a sudden, because it was in the mainstream, it was, you know, every media outlet was talking mm-hmm. about it. The cool comic book guy, I have that copy up. That's going to put my kid through college. And Exactly. I bought myself like 10 copies of it and was selling it all around my high school. Cause I thought, Hey, you know what? If they, if they think that this is going to put their kid through college, even though there's millions of copies of it and it's, you know, highly overproduced, I'm happy to sell it to them. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? That's, that's funny. Cause that's a whole other show, the whole speculation market and you know what it's doing to certain parts of the industry. But yeah, it's just funny. I mean, it's, for me, it's it's really about just getting as many stories as you can into mm-hmm. people's hands and letting them enjoy it. One of the things that I love about actually having kids read comic books is how they actually treat the book. Yeah. It's, not, it's not worth anything but the value that they get out of the story itself. That mm-hmm. the, the pages don't have to be pristine and uh, it's okay to bend it, do whatever you want. You know, buy toys yeah. and open the boxes. People, that's what they're for. 
It drives me insane. Yeah, that's um, funny. Yeah, they're but, not worried about a CGC grade later on. They're like, oh, I want to read this story and I want to read it 20 times. Cause yeah, any of my old trades that I would have had back in the day would have been completely trashed, but you know, well read and loved. And that's what matters in the end. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? I'm not, I'm not trashing that part of the market. There are people that like to collect. I completely get it. And they collect, yeah. I mean, we collect stamps, we collect coins, mm-hmm. people collect sticks. So yeah, collecting yeah. comics. Absolutely. But when it, when it, I think when it overshadows what, you know, that industry is supposed to be about and, you know, who is supposed to tailor to and um, when it gets in the way of that, then that's when it becomes an issue. But yeah, yeah, collecting is absolutely a part of it. It's just the whole speculation part of it that just kind of ruins everything. But that's easy here. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. All right, cool. All right. So we got kind of like when you decided to, to, you know, do a comic yourself, that was the vertigo you read it. You said, you know what, you could do this. So you're a writer. Yeah. Yes, by nature. I'm a writer by nature, yeah. Okay, so then talk about some of the biggest influences um, that you've had for your writing. Um, I think when I was when I was growing up, my aunt was really she was such a huge reader, and she kind of introduced me to Dean Koontz and Stephen right. King, and mm-hmm. I just remember tearing through that stuff as a kid, which probably shouldn't have been reading it when I was ten and eleven, but you know I was just hooked on it. So I think that's where it started was just devouring every one of the novels from these guys that I could and then just looking for any good science fiction fantasy horror stuff out there so read you know every post story a million times when I was a kid because you know you get that you go get a Poe book through your scholastic book club and Mm -hmm. I remember that excitement getting that that Edgar Allan Poe collection through the scholastic book club and just reading through it and reading through it so I've always kind of leaned toward the darker writers and that's kind of the universe I always wanted to play. And it's like, I'm not going to tell a fluffy, happy story. I want to tell a darker, grittier story, but you know, always throw in a little bit of humor. So you don't make it so dour that nobody wants to read it. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, His son, um, Stephen King's son actually has quite a few books that um, he was publishing under uh, DC for a while. Um, yeah, Joe, Joe Hill. Hill he did yeah. the he did that. The whole Lock and Key series was amazing. I remember yes. Yes. reading that, and then I've read several of his novels as well. So I've he's a really good writer. Just crazy to think because that's big shoes to fill. And then here he is, successful in comics, and he's done that. The Nosferatu. Now that's a TV series. So yep. he's yep. he's really having the acclaim. I mean, nothing will top his dad's because Stephen King. There were a million Stephen King movies that have been adapted and pretty much anytime he puts out a new book, they're already thinking this is going to be a movie or a miniseries. So, I mean, he, he's just pro- prolific because he can't stop writing. He retired and that lasted all of six months. And then he's cranking right. out books like nothing again. <laughs> yes. Yes. But his, his son definitely holds his own. The book that I read uh, was called basketball of heads. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was fantastic. It was a hard story, but it was just, and it was a short, like six issue mini, but, I mean, yeah. it had me spellbound all the way through. So it's fantastic. Yeah, definitely. You have, you have some people up there that are of great influence. Um, all right. So cool. All right. So we have sort of, so you've been in comics pretty much all your life and you've been fascinated by them. You've been inspired by them. And that oh, yeah. got you to where we are today, which is your very own book. Yeah. Which is called? It's called Immortal Era. And we're currently, we have, Three issues out, and the fourth issue it will be coming out 
later next month and that's what the kickstarter is running for and it's it's actually funny because when i wrote it originally i never intended it to be a comic book because even though i was reading comic books from such a young age i thought you have to have artistic skills to be a comic writer i thought they were in there you know drawing the images along with the with the other people so it wasn't until later that i realized you don't have to be an artist to be a comic writer because i always put the two together when i was mm -hmm, younger mm -hmm, so i was mm -hmm. i was writing short stories with no intention of seeing those in comic form and it really wasn't until probably about five years ago where the school that i work at the librarian he's a Kubert school artist he graduated from there and we were just kind of talking stories and i was telling him about the story the immortal era story that was, I was originally intending it to be a novel trilogy. I thought this will be the form that it's gonna be. And he's like, dude, this is a perfect comic book. We gotta turn this thing into a book. So from that point, I went online, I just started studying, all right, how do you write a comic script? And what I learned was there's no, there's no universal way to write a mm -hmm. comic script. Mm -hmm. You just experiment and find the ways that work for you. And that was just digging through all those trades. I had, you know, trade after trade sitting on my bookshelf and all of those, have a script excerpt at the end that you would just ignore in the past. Like, all right, you're gonna read all the comics, you're not gonna read the script stuff. And that became the only thing I would look for to try to find a script format that worked for my particular style of writing. And all I did was kind of play with it until I found a way that seemed like it would work for me and better yet work for the artist when I send him the pages, is he gonna understand what it is I need in there? and it, it took a lot of ironing out, but I found a format that works and the current artist that I'm working with, it works for him. So he gets nice. a new script and he's ready to roll. Nice. nice. Now you mentioned the Kubert School. That was yeah. the original artist that you had? Yeah. Now, what, what a small world because I took a bunch of ancillary courses at the Kubert School. Okay. In uh, Dover. Funny. Yeah, in Dover, New Jersey. Yeah. So a very, very small world. Uh, and they're still there. So, you know, I just finished taking a, a digital art class, um, which, oh, had, cool. which was like a six-week program, uh, which yeah. is pretty cool. Um, yeah, small world. So, all right, so cool. So, yeah, so there really isn't any universal way for scripting. I mean, you have the Marvel way, you have the DC way, and then you have everything in between. I think, yeah. the, you know, the best thing is to find an artist that you really enjoy working with. And once mm -hmm. you guys create your own language and your own style, then it, that that becomes your style of your two. Um, when you're gonna yeah. start to work with multiple artists, obviously you have to you know develop a form that's gonna work for uh, pretty much everyone. But if you're working yeah. with a couple of artists that you always work with, because there's a couple of people that writers that I work with where they give me less detail um, mm -hmm. because they know exactly what they're thinking, and it's it's cool to have that kind of uh, relationship. So how long have you been yeah. working with the artist that you have now? Uh, the artist that I'm working with now, we've been working together since. Um, 2019 okay. actually no about 2018 because we started just kind of developing everything and character designs and everything in late 2018 and then we published the first issue in 2019 and there was a lot more a lot more to work out in the beginning because he's from brazil so we have a language barrier okay and then certain things like i remember in issue two i'm describing a strip mall and mm -hmm. he said, I have no idea what a strip mall is. We don't have those in Brazil. So explain to me. So I just went out, took some pictures of a strip mall and sent it that way. And then the same thing with subways. I'm describing, you know, this abandoned subway. We don't have subways. 
So I went again, took pictures of different subways. And I try to, when I know it's something that he won't necessarily know mm-hmm. being from Brazil, I'll make sure I send picture references with it now. But in general, we're working pretty well together where he can even say, I think the impact of this scene would be better if we add an extra panel here mm. or put this there. So I think we're comfortable enough with each other that he's not afraid to say, this will make the story even better. And we do that. So it's it's nice to have this, this kind of working relationship where he trusts that I'm not just going to shoot him down if he has an idea that's going to make the book better. Yeah, I think that's great. And it's really important. It shows a sense of trust. Um, you know, obviously the writer has something in mind when they're writing it down and it's sometimes it's really hard to convey, but I think when mm-hmm. an artist really gets a writer, um, everything that they do with the art is really to emphasize everything that the writer is, you know, telling as part of the story. I think that yeah. when, a, when an artist draws exactly what's being written down, then you're just reinforcing what's being written. You're not expanding to the story, but I think if they take the yeah. words and actually build on that, then that's when you actually start to create a really great relationship between the, the graphic, the art, and, and the medium of the, of the word. Yeah. All right, that's cool. That's great. All right, so then tell us a little bit about the, the story. What, what, what's the mortal era about? The story takes place 200 years in the future, so basically it's a big post-apocalyptic future where there haven't been any recorded deaths for over 200 years. So basically the entire population has all become immortal, but with their immortality, they don't get any kind of special abilities, no special powers. If you, you know, you, if you get sick, you're just going to be sick for a really long time. The things that should take you, that you should die from in the natural life cycle don't actually take you down in this Hmm. era. So you just have, a lifetime of suffering. If you lose a limb, nothing's growing back. You're just going to have to learn to live with a missing limb. One of the characters in the story is just a, a decapitated head. He builds himself <laughs> a little device so he can live on it, but you know, there's there's no, all right, your head's been cut, cut off. You, now you're going to die. Nope, you're still going to go. So pretty much we see what the world would become if nobody was able to die. So you have overcrowding, overpopulation, Mm. natural resources taken down to practically nothing, and then population control. They basically only allow a small number of births every year. And if you're you're born, because people are still going to repopulate the planet, whether they're given permission to or not. Right. But if they're basically, if they have a baby and they're not, it wasn't legally born, they have to go live in these abandoned subways. So they've turned all of the underground subways into these these different villages. But down there, there's roving gangs that are trying to steal the resources from the other ones. There's cannibals just looking for whatever meal happens to wander their direction. So you have this underground world that's just completely brutal that people have to survive in. And then you have the up the surface, which is just this crumbling overcrowded city where the people who live there have this feeling of superiority they think all right well we're the real citizens and everyone down there's a cockroach and they're always quick to throw insults at the people that live down there because if they even try to step foot up there they're immediately hunted down by these robotic police officers so you just have this this brutal world that people are trying to survive in and one group of people that live underground they're 
still trying to figure out what exactly happened to make everybody immortal. And mm -hmm. they're on these quests to basically kill humanity and restore the natural life cycle. So that's what the main story is going to be, is just this, this hero's quest to bring death back into the world. Wow. All right, so now you're up to issue four. Is there a yes. planned number of issues? Is it finite or is it something that, you know, the, where the story is just going to keep evolving? Because there's a lot to unpack there uh, and you could probably yeah. stretch it out. And I guess the one question that I would always ask a writer is, do you already know the ending? I do. I've actually nice. written the ending already. I, nice. I'm i one of those people that I feel like if I'm going to write a story, I want to know the ending before I really know the beginning. Mm. It's like, okay, I have this basic idea. Now, how's it going to end? And then you kind of pave the road of all the beginning and the middle. But you need to know the end and you need to know when it's going to come. So my thought is it's going to be a 30-issue series. Okay. There might be a little wiggle room to make it a little shorter or a little longer, but 30's always been kind of that that magic number. That's not to say that there's not more stories to be told because we can do the story starts in the year 2000 and then jumps 200 years. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of story mm -hmm. in those 200 years that could be told in little one shots and things like that. But the core story would do series with each arc being six issues. Yes. Okay. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. That's, it's definitely one of the things that I ask all writers is if they have an ending for their story. Cause I, I like you said, it, it's really important. And I, and oftentimes when I'm writing stories as well, that's where I will start is, is from the end is, you know, the idea is, is, is formulated, but I need to know mm -hmm. what's going to happen at the very end and then fill in all the blanks from there, whether it takes 10 years, 15 years, you know, one issue, 20 issues, it doesn't matter. I think as long as the story's coherent and there's a solid end to your story, then then you're golden. Yeah. Oh, cool. All right. So then talk a little bit about your process then. Then, you know, what do you enjoy about writing this particular story? Um, I think the thing I enjoy is that now, you know, I have a real I feel like I have a connection with the characters. So when I'm writing, I can kind of feel the, the characters and know what direction they would go and trying to kind of really give each one their own distinct personality and style so that if you were to read it, each character would stand out on their own. Because mm. a lot of comics that I read, and this isn't just in the indie comics, the characters are kind of just a blur. You wouldn't be able to really distinguish one from the next. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things I like to do and just kind of moving the story ahead and those moments where you think of something that you hadn't thought of before and you're like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so great. Cause I just thought of a, a whole connect, a whole way that the third story arc is going to start that I think will be a lot of fun mm -hmm. because I know the beginning, the middle and the end, the, the big points, but you have to fill in all those middle, those, those little things. Right. And those are the most difficult because the big moments, those kind of write themselves and, issue four was like that it's just a big showdown issue it's two of our two of our main characters battling it out and that's an easier issue to write because it's it's fun to write the action it's fun to write that kind of stuff mm -hmm. but when you need those character developing issues that are slower those ones are a lot harder to get out so it's kind of finding those points where ooh, this will be a really exciting thing because 
every character needs to have their own story and when can you put their story into the book then in a place that'll make sense so when you get those those aha moments and you're just like oh my gosh i know exactly what i'm going to do now and this is going to be something that's going to take the readers off guard they're not going to see this coming and it's going to be a real fun thing to do those are those are the exciting moments of writing cuz when you come to those revelations it's just it it makes it a lot it makes it a lot easier to do right and that that's the payoff it's getting to those mm -hmm. moments and then filling up those moments. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and you mentioned something really interesting. So you're looking at different characters because right now, as I was reading, uh, there was at least four or five distinctive characters. Have you mm -hmm. found it to be challenging to, you know, find a voice for each one of the characters? Are there people that, you know, of influence in your life that they're based off of? You don't have to mention anybody, but, you know, writing ensemble books with different people, you can get really stuck in having everybody have the same voice. And I didn't find yeah. that. I mean, I, I only got through the first issue just because time has mm -hmm. been killing me. But, you know, from the characters yeah. that I read, there were very distinct voices in each one. And I just, what was your process for that? And did you find that challenging? My process, I mean, it, it was something that was definitely challenging because no matter how small the characters you know, influence on the story is each one needs their own voice. And I think that was something I learned by reading all of the Neil Gaiman stuff, because you could get this tiny insignificant character in, in Sandman, but they have a full fleshed out story. So I thought, you know what, I need a full backstory for mm. every single character, even this newscaster. We're going to see, you know, this newscaster woman for maybe five panels in the entire series, but what's her story? Who is she? So each character in my mind, I had to write an entire backstory and know what their personalities were so that they could all feel different because they all have different motivations. But you need, as a writer, I feel it's important to know the character's motivations so that they don't all just kind of blur into each other. Where it's like, okay, here you're writing five characters that all sound exactly alike. If I lifted the dialogue from the page, you wouldn't know which one was which. But developing the characters and really just spending time before I even started writing the script, I was writing huge, you know, several pages of just description of the characters and their backstories and their motivations. So that even if they're the most insignificant character, that's never going to be seen again, we know a lot about them, or at least I know a lot about them. So I can give them that distinct voice that they need. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you could see it. I mean, that relationship between the two sisters in the very first issue I mean, it's it's funny because when I read books and comics, whatever literature I read, um, if there's a response that's invoked in me, whether I'm laughing, crying, or saying, oh, shit, um, then the writer has done their job. And there were mm -hmm. several moments when I was reading uh, the issue where I did either, either giggle out loud or I said, oh, shit. Um, so, yeah, you were definitely doing what you needed to do to invoke a response. Um, throughout the work, so kudos to you on that, because you know there's oh, times you. where I've read stuff and I'm just like, I, I I read the whole thing and I have no idea what I read or I fell asleep halfway through it. Yeah, um, you just put it down. The one the ones you can't get through the whole book, you're just like, you know what? I'm not I'm not hooked. I don't know what's going on, and you just you set it down, and that's one of the things I wanted to avoid to be that the kind of and yeah really the the argument parts like all right i got two kids at home and that's the kind of thing you see it's just like that that rolling your eyes like here they go again 
and then that's what's what going on now. It's, it's relatable. So I mean, almost everyone is seeing that type of argument. So when you read about it, it, that kind of brings up, you know, either something that you've been through or something you've seen a thousand times. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's 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 capturing moments like that that actually make the the reading more intriguing. And it's funny because I talk to people all the time. It's like nobody really wants anything brand spanking new because you can't relate to it. But if you take yeah. something that people have been through a thousand times and give it a spin or a little bit of a nostalgic feel, then it invokes uh, an emotional response. And that's what you really yeah. want to get out of people. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that little that little interaction just made me go, shit, me and my brother do the same thing. So that's funny. That's funny. Um, all right, cool. So um, you got your book. You're up to issue four now, which is really super exciting. Um, and then you decide to publish it, self-publish it. Have you ever tried sending it out to a publisher or have you always just gone the self-publishing route? I think I've, I mean, I've gone the self-publishing route and there was a point where I was thinking about sending it to publishers and then COVID happened. And I know that they're not really taking on a lot of new projects. So a lot of them have closed submissions until things pick up for them. So I think if, if things would have stayed normal, I was going to start hitting up those different Comic-Con booths and things mm-hmm, like that, mm-hmm. where you can go and talk to the people that are running the company and see about those smaller companies and what they would be able to do. But there hasn't been a con for a year now. So it's kind of, it's hard to get that same connection that you normally would have had. So I think eventually I want to send it out, but I'm also, I'm heavily guarded with this one. Cause mm-hmm. this, I mean, this story is feels like my baby because I was I've been working <laughs> on it since 1998. So yeah. I mean it goes it goes way back. So it's not one I would want to hand over easily because I've been offered by a few smaller companies the ability to publish with them. But I think yeah, I mean, you know what? Do I want to go? I mean, if Image called me up, I'd be in in a second. But right. if it's a smaller company that's you know that is a step up from where I'm at, but still a small publishing company, is that the step that I'd like to take? So that's one of those decision processes I have to kind of grapple with because I don't know where I want to eventually take it. But of course, it would be nice to not have to self-publish every issue. But if Kickstarter, if the Kickstarters can stay successful and I can sustain, because I consider success at this level breaking even. If I can continue to break even, and be able to tell my story, I call that a win because new readers should hopefully continue to grow every time you get a new issue out because you get that trust. Indie comics are notorious for issue one and then nothing else. Correct. So correct. there's a lot of distrust. Like, do I really want to invest myself in this series when they're going to let me down and I'm going to be hooked on issue one and I'll never see another thing? Yeah. So I think that trust with the readers seeing, okay, now here comes issue four. And then in a couple of months, issue five, and then eventually the first trade comes out. You can see that, okay, we're not, we're here to tell the full story. We're not here to, to leave you dangling and stuck with no real answers. Right. All right. So then how, how have you been finding that process with uh, the crowdfunding stuff? Like this is what campaign for you? Because your, your campaign's already funded, correct? Yes, it is. Yeah. And I think you still have like 20 something days to go, correct? Mm-hmm. All right, go. We're going to get you some more people under there as well. So that'd that be fantastic. Um, yeah, this wasn't your first campaign, correct? This is my third. The third, okay. And the first one was really, I mean, it, it did well, but it was just a battle to get there and it mm. funded at the very, very end. 
and I set the goal at 3000 and I, I, I think, you know, I should have just set a lower goal. So that takes the pressure off, mm -hmm. but 3000 is what it takes to complete an issue with all of the art and printing. Mm -hmm. That's kind of that magic number. So I set it at that. I did that with the second one and they both funded, but they were just a battle. They were both down to the last minute for funding for this one, it's it's moving well, but it's not that same kind of pressure because it's funded and with Kickstarter's all or nothing approach, you just have that worry in your mind like, okay, what's gonna happen if I don't make it? And let's say I miss by a hundred dollars, mm -hmm. you lose all of that money. So That's I thought correct. set a smaller goal, make it, and then still work to achieve that goal that can keep the the problem. Like I said, staying at that break even point. And, you know, eventually it'd be great to go above that. But if I can stay there, then I'm able to tell my story and it's not draining my savings account. Right. You know what? And it's great to hear you talking about that because a lot of people who are actually looking to self-publish and do crowdfunding campaigns don't realize that, you know, in order to do even one issue, I mean, if you're looking at a print run of, you know, 100 comics, 150 comics, and it's in color and it's 28 pages, you're looking at probably a dollar sixty-four to almost two dollars a copy. So yeah. you need to cover that. You need to cover the artist course. You need to cover the colorist. If you have a separate colorist, a letterer, um, mm -hmm. and then on top of that, if you are funded, um, are you paying the taxes off of that? And when yeah. I've spoken to people about, you know, are you paying the taxes off of the Kickstarter? They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> wait, wait till next year when the IRS is knocking on your door. Especially yeah. for these people that are, you know, making $70,000, $80,000 mm -hmm. on a campaign, not realizing that, you know, Uncle Sam is going to come for their 22 40%, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and then there's a rude awakening. So I wish there was more, uh, I guess, education around that because a lot of people are yeah. really excited about, you know, creating content. And I, and I never deter anybody from wanting to create stories and make stories and get them out there. But the reality is, is it takes money to, to make it. Um, and in this yeah. industry, if you're breaking even, that's that's like a win, because more oh, yeah. often than not, people are operating in the red, and it, it's just insane. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, kudos to you on that for thinking money wise, because the more money you have to take out of your pocket, the the, the less this becomes about a passion, and it becomes more of a, a heartache. Yeah, and that's why so many do fold after the first issue, because they thought, you know, here I'm going to put out this issue, and then image or netflix or whoever is going to be calling me and they're going to want me badly yeah. and you don't realize that you know getting netflix to grab your series is you know you may as well go buy a lottery ticket your odds are just the same yeah. and you could have the greatest story but it still can be completely unnoticed because you look at you think of you know how many amazing comic books there are that people don't know about or you know name that with anything there's amazing movies that no one watches there's amazing bands that mm -hmm. no one's ever heard mm -hmm. so your odds of being discovered and really blowing up are so slim that you just have to think this is about telling the story it's not about be becoming a millionaire because your odds of that are practically none right but will you enjoy telling the story is it is it important enough to you that you're willing to write and make no money you yeah. know that's what you have to decide yeah absolutely um yeah it, it's it's insane but you know what it's there's a lot of people that are doing it that is quite successful but more often than not there's people that like you said you know they're one issue and done and unfortunately that hurts everyone else that's coming down the pipe that yeah. is going to do something because you know justin and i justin my partner um 
you know, we started Amazing Action Comics, and one of the things that we spoke about when we started publishing other people's content is that we will not take anything on that is not finished. Or if it's yeah. ongoing, if the, you know, the first arc is not finished. And I don't mean written down, we mean complete out. So everyone mm-hmm. we brought on board, and we primarily do uh, miniseries now, um, yeah. when they come on board, it's all done. It's complete. There's, there's mm-hmm. nobody to pay. There's nobody to do any work or anything like that. It's just, all right, we need to solicit, we need to distribute, and then we need to just send to print. So I think yeah. when, when people take that approach, especially with like self-publishing, if they can finish an issue before it even goes up on Kickstarter, um, and you know they pay that money out of their pocket to buy the artist, then that just means that delivery is going to be confirmed. And if they can yeah. keep that reputation and, and keep that thing going, then almost more than likely they'll get 30 issues in, still self-publishing and being quite successful. So, yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. I, you know, I wish you all the success with that because it's, it's still quite a challenge to, you know, oh, yeah, to be your own. So kudos to you. Uh, but have you been enjoying the process? Oh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's something, you know, as, as a person who was reading comic books from a young age to see your name on a comic book and then you go to shows and things like that and you get people interested in your story it's it's a pretty amazing feeling. I mean, the fact that anyone would want me to sign my name on their book, it's still it's still surreal because I think why why do you want my name on there? You know, why why do you want this? So the fact that even if you, you know, even if I never do anything better than break even, but I have people who enjoy the book that are passionate about it and are excited about new issues, that's the best feeling there is as a writer. You just want people to enjoy your work. I mean, you're not in it to become rich you're in it so that you can tell your story because if i looked at it i had a certain point i'm at this crossroads and it's like am i just going to let the story die i mean i have stacks of notes i've written Mm -hmm. hundreds upon hundreds of pages but am i going to battle to get this out or am i just going to say you know what that that was fun while it lasted but i'm going to let this story die in my head and i'm going to move on and realize that writing wasn't in the cards for me or am I going to say, you know, I'm going to battle with every fiber of my being to make sure that this story's out in the world and hope that people enjoy it. So, yeah, you have to decide what what's the priority. Are you willing to put in the sacrifice to get it out there? Because it's there's no easy way if you're doing it this this way. Right. And even if you're doing it for a bigger company, they could your sales could be lacking and they could cancel your title. So it's always going to be a struggle. So you have to decide if it's one you want to take. Yeah, absolutely. So with that being said, um, what's the, what's the end goal for you? If you have one, I think the end goal for me is first off to finish this story, to tell it and get it told in its entirety. But also I would love to be able to eventually publish some others on my, on my company because I started it with the intent of hopefully publishing some other up-and-coming authors that want to be able to tell their story because that's the great thing about the indie stories is you're not having to compromise your vision where Marvel or DC they have an end game and they want you to tell it with you know Mm -hmm. make sure you incorporate this or make sure and you incorporate bigger crossover thing that's coming and you have to fit right into that whereas with with this and even with image image is one that lets artists tell their story I want to be a place where people can go to have a chance to tell their story. And I'd also like to be able to do some different little anthologies where people can kind of 
tell stories in the same universe where it's like, okay, here's your rule. No one can die. Tell your story. Tell your version of it because there's a lot of stories to be told in this universe. So I'd love to see that kind of come to fruition and be able to have little anthologies where other people play in the same universe. Nice. I can see that. That's awesome. All right, cool. Well, I'm going to put all of your information on there on, on, on the bottom of the page, but where can people find you and where can, um, yeah, where, where can they get in contact with you? Right now we're on um, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under Finish Line Comics. So if you go to Finish Line Comics on any of those, you can find all of the information. I also have the website, finishlinecomics.com. And that's where you can see upcoming show information and stuff like that. Once that becomes relevant again, I try to keep a pretty busy show schedule and hit at least one thing a month. So once shows open back up, I'll be out there on the road and promoting the book that way. So, and then, you know, the easiest way to get the book right now is to go through Kickstarter. We have some original art pages up. We have specialized covers and I did a, um, I'm doing virgin sketch covers and those things are probably going to sell out in the campaign. So I won't have any to table with. So if people want to get the the special covers, then Kickstarter is the way to go. So that's, that's the easiest way to get your hands on a book right now. But finish line comics always has the link to the web store where you can pick up back issues and anything else that we have for sale. Awesome. Awesome. Great. All right. Um, anything else you want to tell the listeners before I give you my final question and thoughts? Uh, just I want to tell them if you're if you want to create something, don't hold back. This is a beautiful time for creators. Printing a book's not going to break the bank like it would have if you were in the 80s or 90s. So find a way to tell your story. If you're passionate about it, get out there and tell it. Thank you. Well, you just ruined my last question because I was just going to ask, <laughs> what would your advice be to anybody who is new in Uppercut? But that that's fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I agree. If if you're really passionate about doing this and you want to do it don't let anything stop you there's enough resources especially now with the internet and you know you're working with people that are not even in the same country um and you know yeah. the internet just brings so many people closer together and now more and more teams are just working you know through the internet to be able to you know deliver these these great stories and products so um yeah it's fantastic so listen ed i want to thank you for coming on um uh, your campaign Immortal Era is on. It's already funded, but guys, you need to go on here because it's an absolutely, it's a beautiful piece of, of work um, written and drawn. I mean, we didn't, uh, the, the art in it is, it's great. The coloring is fantastic. Um, the storytelling is is awesome as well. So um, he has about 24 more days to go. So you'll have the information and the links that you need within the podcast notes. Just make sure you go and, you know, support another indie creator who's uh, doing some great stuff there. So yeah, thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. And hopefully go and check it out. Hopefully we have something for you. I have nice cheap digital copies. So if you just want to taste, you can get issue one, two dollars for a digital copy. So awesome. Awesome. Check it out. Yeah, let, check it out, guys. And then Ed, thank you. We'll have you on again after the campaign is all done. And you know, maybe we'll have another chat and see how things are going and what you're on to next. That'd be great. All right. Until then, be healthy, my friend. Take it easy. All right. Thanks. All right. You too. Right. Bye bye. All right, and now on to our Indie Spotlight. So this is for the week of 3-24, March 24th. Um, there wasn't really much coming out that were number ones outside of uh, a new Firefly 
uh, comic. Um, so for Firefly fans, there's something new out there for you. It's called, I think, Brand New Verse, and it's basically the kids of the original cast. So I guess it's the next generation. So there wasn't much interest there. I, I enjoyed the, the original Firefly run. Um, so I wasn't really looking for a next generation. Um, I even enjoyed the adaptation of the, uh, the movie, Serenity, which was pretty great. So yeah, if you're looking for that, it's, it's on shelves. So uh, the only thing I actually got to read for independent comics this week was um, a book that I have been reading. This is issue four of Post Americana. It's from Image Comics, and it is by uh, Steve Scross. I believe is how you say his name. He's doing the story in the art. Colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by uh, Phonographics. Uh, so pretty much this is a, a post-apocalyptic um, scenario where something bad has happened all over the world, and they created this like super bunker um, for all of the uh, cabinet members and everybody part of the White House and then everyone else who they allowed inside the bunker to uh, to, to live there while the uh, nuclear fallout just uh, uh, ended and then they'd be able to restart civilization again. Uh, unfortunately, nobody from the cabinet made it. So you had no electives um, who made it uh, through, so you just had citizens, and for the most part is anyone who bought their way in. So you're looking at rich people who are living um, in this bunker. And 80 years have passed, and in those 80 years, uh, one of the civilians actually nominated themselves as president uh, with no objection. Um, and something that was meant to heal the world and restart the world again, he's using it to for his own purpose. So all the resources that are part of the bunker, which is like a big uh, a prototype to create, um, or big printer to create like uh, tanks and um, all kinds of arsenal, um, along with everything else as far as resources, um, that are in there he's using it to or wanting to subjugate the rest of the world so in the wastelands you still have people that are have survived and they've created uh, these little civilizations or these little uh, towns and he's looking to to rule the entire world um, and obviously you always have one person that's going to be in your way so yeah it's 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 a really great story um, it has sort of like a mad max kind of feel to it um, and then the craziness of uh, the new president who wants to just take over the world. Um, and there's some plots and twists. And there's cannibals. I mean, how could you go wrong with, you know, cannibals? So, yeah, they're out there just trying to eat as many people as they can as well. Um, so it's pretty cool. So it's up to issue four right now. Uh, the art in it is fantastic. The story is just each issue leaves you wanting more of the next issue, which is fantastic in my book. Because um, usually with independent books, um, if it doesn't really catch on within the first one or two issues, but I like the story because there's so much content out there. What I'll do is if it's a short run, I'll let the run finish and then I'll pick up the trade and then read it in one soup. Cause sometimes stories are just best read in that one trade. And then there are some books I can think of a few. This one is one where after every single one, I definitely want to read the one next month. Um, saga did that for me as well. Uh, so books like that that kind of leave you on a cliffhanger of wanting to know more um, is, is, is really cool. It's a really way, a great way to tell a story. And uh, Steve does a really great job at pacing um, and, you know, introducing some surprises that you didn't think were going to happen but actually do happen. So, yeah, kudos to him on that. Um, Dave Stewart on the colors, uh, fantastic. So the artist is beautiful in here. That's another thing that keeps me coming back um, to it. It has a little tiny bit of a, a grandpa feel to it. 
Um, not much, but you can see some little inspiration there if there is any. Um, and then the colors just make everything pop and just match for the book. So, yeah, Post Americana. If you're looking for something that's uh, a little raw, even with the graphic scenes, um, but really good storytelling and um, something, you know, but not part of the norm, um, definitely pick up Post Americana. Uh, I think you'll like it. All right, great. That's our episode for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, moving forward, there's just going to be some changes. So look for Friday nights or Friday-ish um, for new episodes of Indie Spotlight. So what I'm going to try to do is on Wednesday, the books come out, read them, and then have the updates of anything that I read on Friday night. And then our creator spotlights will be Sunday releasing on Mondays. So you'll get two episodes a week just kind of separating things out uh, moving forward. So I hope you really enjoy that new format. Um, also, if you'd like to come on to the podcast to, you know, showcase any of your work or, you know, just have a chat, yeah, feel free. Um, visit the link in the notes, um, and then I'll reach out to you, and, and we'll make things happen. That'd be great. Um, as I have been posting, Justin and I, you know, we have an announcement that we're going to be making. If you go over to the site, amazingactioncomics.com, you're going to see that there's a date on there that we're relaunching everything. So we really had an exciting time, you know, trawling our material and bringing on some great creators um, and now it's just that time to, to take a step forward. So we've got some things working in the scenes. Um, if you want your store, your local comic shop, uh, to partake in it, uh, make sure you visit the site and just go on to Comic Fans and then just nominate your store. And we'll reach out and we'll do all the rest for that. Because, uh, yeah, August of 2021 is going to be a very special month. So we're looking forward to that. Um, so I want to thank my uh, creator for being on this week, Edward. Fantastic work. Um, and again, if, like I said, if you want to join the podcast, more than happy to have you on discuss your projects and promote uh, anything that's going on in the indie world. So that'd be cool. All right. Until next time, be amazing. Stay amazing. Read something amazing.